Thanksgiving. I know, I've had too much to eat. I'm so fat. It's so uh, fat. I shouldn't have had Aunt Betty's cream corn and hot dog platter. <laughs> I shouldn't have eaten Aunt Betty. I just couldn't stop. She was old. She was old anyway. <laughs> and delicious. The crime is not to die, but to be wasted. <laughs> Oh, we're off to a roaring start, aren't we? <laughs> well, I, you know, I was ho- I was hoping for a sleepy episode. I'll be honest. Sleepy? Take... No. Why if not? anything, this will be this will be the exact opposite. I think. I think really? you and I are going to be on fire for the movie that we're revisiting today on this podcast called the Aspiring Snobs Podcast, where we aspire to be film snobs. Mm-hmm. We revisited the 1987 film Babette's Feast. Babette's Feast is the internationally acclaimed movie based on a short story by the author of Out of Africa. Vincent Canby of the New York Times says, it is swift, clean, witty, and elegant. A spectacular feast. David Denby of New York Magazine calls it marvelous, a triumphant sunburst of sensual and spiritual delight, a supreme banquet harmonizing body and soul. Boy, how yeah. was it delicious? <laughs> yeah, I think this is this is a famous movie among foodies. I, mm-hmm. But I was going to ask, like, if you if you and I went jaywalking, and by that I mean, you know, we went like Jay Leno out in the street, <laughs> just like, hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> hey, 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 what's going on? Yeah. You like classic cars? I do. Uh, yeah, and ask the the regular regular Joe or Jane on the street if they'd ever heard of Babette's Feast. I'm not sure they would have. No, I can't even recall where I'd heard of this movie before. I recognized the title, and I knew that this, like, when I heard the word Babette, I had this connotation of, like, old European film, but that's pretty much it. I can't tell you anything else, like, why I knew that title, or how I knew that this, well, besides the fact that it's Feast in the title, that I had any idea that this movie was about food. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's experiencing a, a small cultural resurgence with um, kind of food culture and foodies, you know, oh, okay. thanks to social media kind of rocketing off. But it did have a, a cult following in, in 1987 mm-hmm. uh, for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one, it was an award winner, like it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, won the Academy Award for Best uh, Foreign Language Film. Okay. And um, it's from the same author as uh, uh, this, the original short story on which Babette's Feast is based. Um, it's from an author named Karen Blixen, and mm-hmm. she wrote a movie called Out of, or she wrote a book called Out of Africa, and that won the Academy Award two years prior uh, for yes. Best Picture. Robert Redford and Meryl Streep, right? Yep, that's the one. <laughs> okay. So again, like really classy, tasteful, exactly what you expect out of Oscar bait. Um, and and the other thing that I think the reason this became a cult classic was because. 1987 was dire for the American <laughs> film industry. I mean, it was bad. Hold on. You're telling me the year that Short Circuit came out was a bad year for films? I No, John. I think you're, you're confused with Short Circuit 2. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about some other luminaries from, uh, the Amer- at, from the American cinema at the time, including Jaws 4, The Revenge. Um, probably the third best one? Come on. Let's, let's give it some credit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jaws too. I mean, come on, let's move on. <laughs> there was also um, Who's That Girl? I've never even heard of that movie. And the highest grossing film at the U.S. box office that year, Three Men and a Baby. Ah, uh, yes. The classic. Mm-hmm. Which we should probably so, revisit, but probably not for another year. Let's let's hold what? off. What? Are you, are you out of your mind? <laughs> what? How do you... You don't want to revisit Three Men and a Baby? What's wrong with that? No, because it's garbage. It's terrible. You made Nobody us regards watch that the as a classic. <laughs> but people actually like that movie. People actually people... remember what that movie is. <laughs> First of all, fun little trivia fact. Three Men and the Baby is the favorite film of one Kumail Nanjiani. Okay, a comedian we both respect. So, Oh, oh so one uh, B-level comedian. <laughs> B-level? B-level? Yes. Again, let's go out on the street and ask, hey, do you know who Kumail Nanjiani is? Yes, and they'll be like the hilarious man from... <laughs> Silicon Valley, and he just had the award-winning romantic comedy, The Big Sick, that came out this summer. Now available okay, on, yes. on Amazon Prime. How dare you, <laughs> sir? How dare you? Get out of my face. Oh, this is a contentious episode now. We're fighting. Uh, okay. We're sorry, fight. sorry. Yes, I know. Sorry. One one comedian likes that movie. Ergo, we should revisit it. You know, it's, it's not just one comedian. It's Kumail Nach... <sighs> 
let's get off this topic. Let's get back to Babette's feast. I'm not just trying to butter his bread, hoping that maybe he'll be a <laughs> yeah, guest. But <laughs> yeah. But yes, Babette's feast available on Filmstruck now. Um. <laughs> So I, I guess it has a bit of a cult following, and maybe again, it's you know got a reputation now that, uh, among food circles. So, mm-hmm. you know, but John, we're not looking at just a just a a, a film's culinary bona fides. We're looking at its cinematic quality. And what did you think of Babette's Feast? I thought it was quite good. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far to say great, but again, it's kind of really understated. So how do you praise <laughs> a movie that's this sleepy? <laughs> Yeah, it's very austere, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I get, uh, but G. it's by design, so that's why I can really forgive it. Uh, yeah. The movie takes place in a small kind of Puritan community in 19th century uh, 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 Norway. Denmark. Denmark, <laughs> sorry. Shit. Sorry. Yeah. I was like, Danish. Shit, where are the Danes from? Where are the Danes from? Yeah. <laughs> I blanked. Uh, it takes place in uh, 18th century Denmark in a small little Puritan community. So, uh, obviously, everyone dresses in all black. Everyone just kind of, you know, greets each other with yeah. a subtle little nod. And, you know, yeah, they've... there aren't monster truck rallies going on around <laughs> them. <you know? laughs> and so it's a really a movie about kind of culture clash because you have this very um, austere community who is kind a very of... reserved and conservative community, too. Mm-hmm. Not really kind of taken aback with Babette, because it's not like Babette, like, you know, breaks in like she's, a, you know, an Eddie Murphy character or something like that. But you can definitely yeah. tell she's French, and she comes from a very different background. So when she kind of is welcomed into this community as a refugee, there's a little bit of a learning curve on how things are done. Yeah, I mean, just to echo what you were saying, again, it's very, it's a very mild film. Mm-hmm. And if it eventually kind of becomes about culture class. Um, <laughs> it's about a few other differences between then, but again, we're not talking about you know peaks as high as the Himalayas and you know valleys as low as the the drama doesn't you know vary wildly. Yeah, it, this is a European film, so it's all about the emotions they're not showing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I'd say in addition to not in addition to being about culture clash it's also about it's trying to take in the totality of our our lives and our decisions because the the uh, kind of although i I, i'm like you i admired the movie i thought it was good but it it had the capability of being great if it kind of pulled through that drama or had that central idea of culture clash kind of all the way through Mm -hmm. and instead it kind of opens with these two sisters um martine and Philippa. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the matriarchs of this small little religious sect that's living this very puritanical life. Mm-hmm. And they were the daughters of the pastor who was the head of this community. And so yeah. they've kind of inherited his role. Yeah, and so what it's also really about is not just Babette, this uh, indulgent fresh cook, French cook, mm-hmm. um, coming in and kind of invading this uh, their community with these weird you know, dishes, <laughs> weird exotic dishes. <laughs> It's also about these sisters and their and their choice to pursue this religious life um, instead of you know welcoming these suitors because two other suitors do come to the town. Yeah, because yeah, the first act is kind of really slow because we were set up with this idea that both sisters had the chance to leave the community and pursue different things, but they both decided it was their fate. They were resigned to leading this community, never leaving, basically to do what their father did. And so the movie, like, it has this reoccurring theme of what have we chosen to do with our lives, and do we regret that? Yeah, or, like, kind of a, fulfilling a sense of purpose, because Babette really feels that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably explain. I guess, is she the star of the movie, or would you say the two sisters are? No, I would say the two sisters are. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, Babette's that's feast, it's really more about the actual feast instead of Babette. Babette is just yeah. kind of the catalyst to all the drama. And that's comedy, quote-unquote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on, on Filmstruck, they do list this as a comedy. Um, Which it is funny maybe, at times, but it's very dry. I, yeah, maybe in the same way that, I don't know, Morgan Freeman and Christian Bale have funny banter in The Dark Knight, you know? <laughs> that, film, that movie isn't a comedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there are little, like, laughs there, but... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, uh, the question between, maybe that's the, the problem of one of the things that prevents this good movie from becoming great is, you know, having maybe giving equal time to all three of these characters and the decisions they made in life. Um, mm-hmm. 
one of them not by choice, because uh, we should explain Babette kind of comes into this town as a refugee from the Paris Commune, like this communist uprising, bloodshed. Her husband and son are, have been killed, and so she's she's experiencing this trauma as well. And so uh, that that I wish the movie focused on a little bit more, and I think that's it's also bolstered by just a tremendous performance by uh, Stephanie Audran as uh, as Babette herself. Like her mm. face just conveys worlds behind like what's going on there. Whereas I didn't get that as much from the two sisters. Well, no, and again, that's by design. The sisters are meant to be this kind of these two quiet, reserved people, and then you have Babette, who not only personality-wise is just a huge breath of fresh air, but also visually, mm-hmm. everyone else is dressed in black. She's the only one who has kind of a more color palette, <laughs> which really just means lighter grays. <laughs> well, but yeah, I was going to say elegance, an elegance to her. Yeah, yeah, but it's also the hair. She's a ginger, so she's got this nice kind of big puff of red hair, as where everyone else is just kind of gray and dour. She's just like one solid burst of color. Yeah, but the movie kind of opens. I'm I'm glad you mentioned like it's about the decisions we made in life because t- the two sisters are courted by two very different people. One is a a kind of um a flailing uh, general in the Danish army, an aristocrat mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um. He goes there because he's he's addicted to gambling. Um. But he sees like, listen, I'm not I'm not gonna be this woman's husband. Like clearly, she's more devoted to her to her religious practice. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So you get that kind of that side of it. But then you also have this uh, French opera singer who's a little past his prime, but he's you know he's he's very boisterous and. <laughs> Very performative, and so almost like an actor in a movie. So that was a that was a breath of fresh air too. Exactly, and he's taken aback with the talent of the other sister, who is actually this amazing opera singer, or at least mm-hmm. has the uh, possibility to be an amazing opera singer. But again, she decides, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to pursue this. You know, it's not really a dream of hers, but it's like she could have a life of fame and fortune and wealth, and she decides against it. Well, and also a, a life of being assaulted by a corporate Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of factored into her decision, too. Oh, the but it was, all, it was all in good jest. Uh, sure. And yeah, in normal French jest. <laughs> I guess we should also say like another disappointment I had um, with this character in particular is that he's he's a French speaker. And thankfully enough, the family, this this family, this uh, patriarch of the church and these two sisters also speak French. Yeah. And so, like, what little kind of possibility for conflict they have isn't there. Isn't there? It's kind of, it's like one of those coincidences that's you know resolves the plot instead of initiates it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, it's another it's another thing that keeps like kind of conflict at bay and what could have turned a a, a good movie great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, again, for me, the biggest sticking point is the first act, which again is just setting up everything that's going to happen during the feast. But it's a little bit slow, and the problem is it's meant to kind of give you the history and kind of the backstory. But the, and there's this opening narration, but the problem is the opening narration is just so flowery and poetic that it doesn't really explain anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm wondering if that's lifted directly from uh, Karen Blixen's short story on yeah, which this movie's based. Exactly, and I think it would have been nice if they just let everything play out again. Show don't tell. Because even when they try to tell, it doesn't really make much sense. It's like, his heart was yearning with the fires of passion. <laughs> it's <laughs> well, like a bad a, romance that, novel. That's the interesting thing, because I was trying to picture it without that voiceover narration. And instead, you just have these long scenes of people just kind of like walking through the village and looking at each other. And yeah. I, actually, I actually admired the telling, because the showing wasn't, wasn't giving me a whole lot. I guess that's true. I mean, the, the music in the film is very sparse, and it's used very oddly at times and it's like sometimes it's like dissonant sometimes it's just like soft piano music it was, it's yeah. confusing choices yeah it's mostly yeah it's mostly um worship music i mean that's what basically what this uh, sect on the west coast of denmark occupies their time with is all this uh worship music and yeah there's like this austere piano over the opening credits but other than that there's not a whole lot of music and um mm-hmm. yeah i'm glad you you said interesting choices <laughs> Because in the first half of the movie, again, we're kind of like compressed in time. We have this, we have this narration that kind of, you know, now it's 14 years later, or you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're jump, we're jumping from the past into the present, mm-hmm. and so like, yeah, the story kind of jumps around, but the director uh, Gabrielle Excel um, chooses in some of the edits to show characters literally walking from one house down the street. <laughs> All the way to the grocer, they get their thing, and then they walk all the way back. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then other times it's just like 14 years later, like in just a cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 
again, I, I'm not sure what the... I, I, I wish it was in kind of the hands of a better filmmaker. Mm. Not that I've seen any of other Gabrielle XL films, but... Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna presume that you know he's not he's not on the level of a Scorsese because I've never heard of him before this movie. So oh okay fine racist <laughs> oh because he's an American director he's better than a Dane how dare you how I dare you. that's not racist it's nationalist John oh, okay I apologize <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ikke frisk. Mine fisk ikke friske. For to minutter siden svømmede de ud i vandet. For mig er 30 skilling. 20 skilling. 30, madam. Brød. Brød. Lægges i blød. Pøtte bier, litt øl. Øllebrød. Øllebrød. Oui, But John, I'm sure everybody's wondering, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> yes, it does take a long time to actually get to the titular feast. Yeah. Um, so, Babette is a refugee from the Franco-Prussian War. Mm-hmm. Uh, her whole family is basically killed off, and she escapes. She absconds to this small little Danish village with the help of the opera singer that we were introduced to earlier. Yeah. And we, she's taken in by these two lovely women, the pillars of this community. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, I wish we got a little more of her acclimating. Because, again, that's where the comedy kind of comes in, is, you know, this kind of fish out of water, literally. Oh flounder out of water let's call it yeah <laughs> yeah because um the, the babette's kind of mortified by this simple living like she's a we learn later that she's a she's a professional chef mm-hmm. and has all these like and has all this skill in the kitchen um but she sees that they these two sisters serve the community they serve them bread and fish soup you know it's just let this fish show yeah just stick some horrible... bread in there stick some water yeah it's just slush yeah it's just yeah slurry. this horrible like brown stew and she's seeing how they prepare the flounder and she's just like just kind of taken aback and again a very dry but very understated and you know that's where the kind of comedy comes yeah. in is again the emotions they're not showing and yeah and but there is like one scene she's learning danish and then to cut to the next scene it's like years later and she's now fluent in the language mm-hmm. um she's ingratiated herself like everybody loves her the grocer loves her mm-hmm. they love you the know, food she's she cooks the fish. yeah yeah she's haggling with the fishmonger you know stuff like that mm-hmm and so yeah, I mean, it, it's not mined for kind of maximum dramatic potential there, but it's there. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. And one of the interesting things is also at this point we see a little dissent in the community. Like this community has basically been together for all these years. They're now mm-hmm. kind of getting older, and we notice that they're a little more forthright with how they feel, which we haven't really seen yet at this point. And they're kind of more arguing, and there's a little more dissent in the ranks. Yeah, and I'm gl- I'm glad you said older and also smaller. Like in the flashback scenes, we see they fill up a whole chapel, mm-hmm. and now in these later scenes in the present day, or what is 1871 Denmark, <laughs> they only fill up a dining room, and they're all in their at least 60s at this point. Exactly, they're not bringing in new members. Yeah, yeah, and I thought maybe it was implying that because of Babette's um, presence in this community, that everyone's kind of like. Again, she's kind of worn off on everybody, and now they're being a little more forthright. They're being a little more kind of aggressive with the way they feel. Again, a little more French, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see that connection to Babette. I think it was just more with age and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, knowing where the plot goes eventually, then I realized, oh, okay, it was just a coincidence. Oh, yeah. All our yeah. places, yeah, all our places are set. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, also, yeah, Babette has won the lottery. She can, she's permitted to return to France uh, mm-hmm. with, some, with some fortune. But she says, before I go, I want to prepare you a classic French meal. Exactly. And this is also where some cultural clash begins. Um, again, it's not mine for its dramatic potential because... Uh, the, the two sisters are so withdrawn, but they're they're very scared of this meal that she's going to prepare. Um, they they fear it's going to be overindulgent. It's going to take them away from their religious practice. So. Exactly. She's going to serve wine with the food. Ooh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we have all our places set, mm-hmm. and Babette comes in with all these exotic ingredients, and they all agree like we're not going to say anything about the meal. Yeah. Uh, that old general, remember him from an hour <laughs> earlier. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it is kind of, again, like, and that's why I was thrown off by the whole descent in the ranks thing earlier, because then everyone agrees, all right, we're going to do this favor for Babette. She's going to make this nice meal for us, but we're not going to say anything, and we're not going to enjoy ourselves too much. And everyone comes to a solid agreement on that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of weird that we see them arguing, and then all of a sudden everyone's kind of getting to back together again. Yes. Well, John, they, it's because they all sit down for this exquisite meal, and they love it, and they resolve all their problems. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but again, they're not huge problems. <laughs> like, one's no, like, but, you cheated me no, out of but, money. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the kind of but level I, of I, But I forgive you or something like that, and I... I think what the story is really going for is that this is like uh, what Babette's meal is like a literal fruit of the spirit and it brings the community back together. It brings these estranged lovers back together in a way and yeah. reconciles them too. Mm-hmm. So all the pieces are there for what is an exquisite meal and the last half hour of this movie is really what makes it what makes it great. Mm-hmm. Or at least good. But you're right, like kind of all the pieces are there and I just wish they kind of shuffled them around a little bit and then and then the movie would be great. Yeah, well, again, it's all about that understated atmosphere that they're going for. Like, again, the big centerpiece of this meal is that we're reintroduced to this now general who, again, Mm. has pined for this woman all his life, has basically committed himself, again, going back to duty and what you, you know, what you've resigned your fate to. And he's basically returned. And it's a question of whether he's going to tell this woman, I've carried a torch for you this whole time since I've been gone. Yeah, or do I have to face that? Or am I strong enough to face the regret I feel for the last 40 years of my life or something like that? Exactly. And also, the sister also has to kind of come face to face with that. That she decided not to go with him. That she's, you know, stayed basically in one place her whole life for 14 Mm -hmm. years. Yeah, and there's some there's some good sentiments expressed in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we again, have much more dialogue very, in these scenes. Yeah, very understated. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to kind of overtly praise this movie when, again, it's like jazz. It's the emotions are not shown. <laughs> no, I well, I think it fits the material. No, yeah, absolutely. And and it kind of comes together like if you want to compare it to a jazz song, like wow, I didn't. I didn't figure out, the, I didn't get the first 20 minutes of this improv, but, you know, the last 30, like, oh, it all came together. So. No, yeah, absolutely, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure Again, on I repeat... said improv, I, I know nothing about jazz, so. <laughs> on repeat viewings, I think this movie's going to be a lot more rewarding. Absolutely, yeah, and um, and there's some great sentiments expressed, uh, not only by the general, again, even, mm-hmm. and that's also, I think, where the few, as few laughs as there are, the best ones come at this dinner scene, where they all agree not to say anything about the dinner for fear of, you know, um, indulging in, in something that'll take them away from their spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. But they're obviously, like, kind of enamored with the meal, and, and the general is trying to, you know, express his, like, love. Like, oh, my gosh, this is a genuine turtle soup from Paris, you know? <laughs> and Yeah, the uh, general's... They're like, yeah, again, sure, uh, weather's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, more of the quote-unquote comedy. The general's the only one who didn't get the memo where we're not supposed to actually talk about the meal and how much we're enjoying it. So he's, again, yeah. trying to bring it all back to this, and everyone's like, uh, sure. <laughs> And so he's just kind of like alone by himself in this room. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not exactly. I don't know. I don't know what to compare it to in terms of. <laughs> it's not gut busting. That's for sure. no, no. It's not butt gusting laughs. It's not you know, palm uh, palm sweating you know drama. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. It, again, it all kind of comes together, mm-hmm. and I think it really comes together at the end, um, in terms of like an A to B story when you see characters kind of make an arc. Mm-hmm. Um, Babette has completed this meal. Uh, the sisters tell her it was delicious, and um, thank you again for this final meal. We've, we're sad to see you go, but B- Babette Babs, as they affectionately call her, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> it should have been remade as Babs Feast. Yeah, Babs. She's some girl from Brooklyn. Hey, <laughs> Tyler Perry presents Babs Feast. <laughs> it takes place in Atlanta. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Cheaper to film there. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Good tax breaks. So uh, Babette basically explains to them, yeah, I'm not going back to France. Nobody's waiting for me there. I spent all my money on this meal. I'd rather live out the live out the rest of my days with you serving your community. Mm-hmm. And again, and, like uh, I think it's kind of an interesting message where it's like, it's not judging these people based on the decisions that they've made, but also it's like willing to admit that, you know, maybe they should, maybe they should loosen up a little bit. Uh, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah, or I guess indulge in that kind of community. T- yeah, I guess it depends because we don't see enough of what their kind of spiritual practice is. All we do is see them like, you know, 
uh, sing hymns and things like that. Oh, I mean, I think that. But in terms of like, <laughs> that is the their... entirety of their spiritual practice. Yeah, that's why they keep hammering it home. Like the most repeated scene is them sitting around this table and singing these hymns, and then basically going about their day. Yeah. So maybe if if we'd known what more sacrifice or what more sacrifices they were making in terms of their spiritual practice and why the feast was beneficial to them, mm-hmm. instead we just see you know. They come together around food, which is nice, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, again, it's nice. And again, you're, it resolves you're... kind of the tension between them that's been growing, this animosity between them for yeah. all these years. Yeah, there was one line that I loved. I was wondering if you, how you felt about this sentiment. Um, the sisters are worried that, oh, Babette, if you stay here, you're just going to be poor the rest of your rest of your life. Yeah, that... And she, and she explains, an artist is never poor. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how you felt about that, because... Um, how the how the sister brings it around is what the opera singer told her. Like, even not even in this life, like not even the fame and fortune don't matter anything. Like your your voice was a gift from God, and you will be, and you will be greatly greatly rewarded in heaven with it. You know. Yeah, I don't. And she she expresses that same sentiment to Babette. Um, so that's why I admired that. I wanted your perspective on it, though. <laughs> I just think it's kind of weird for the two sisters to be kind of so shocked and surprised that Babette would decide to stay. Maybe it's because. They've made this choice, and obviously they have some regrets about it themselves. Again, very understated. It's never, it's it's not implied that they have regrets about it, but knowing their whole history, they had a chance to get out and they didn't take it. And mm-hmm. maybe, again, it's kind of like mirroring that when Babette just tells them that she's decided to stay, they're both kind of shocked. But for me, and, you know, looking at these characters and the ways they've decided to live, why would they be shocked by that? If anything, they should be overjoyed. Because again, okay. this is a this is a pillar of their community who everyone's sad to see leave. I, I think it's because Babette is so cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. We should also explain in the scene it's revealed that she was like this head chef of the, the Cafe Anglais, like one of the top restaurants in Paris. You know, she very probably... very coincidental. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> very coincident coincidentally the general also ate there and says like this is just as good as that. And like the the head chef there was a woman, surprisingly. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so maybe maybe it is just because of her. Uh, she's still an outsider. I mean, you see that visually. I mean, you see this curly hair, redheaded woman versus you know, blonde like you know, blonde pasty white uh, Puritans in Denmark. Mm-hmm. So there, you can see that visual difference. So I can see, and yeah, like you know, why not return to that you know cosmopolitan life? And it also seemed like you know this was her chance to relive that glory, but. She's kind of come to the realization she can just as easily relive it here on the shores of Denmark in a tiny Puritan village as she could back in glamorous, the city of lights, you know? Yeah, exactly. But again, I guess that's the whole theme of the movie is like, where do you find happiness? Do you find happiness in going after the cosmopolitan kind of uh, bacchanalia of life? Or do you find it refusing yourself the fruits of joy? Yeah. And I gotta say, it, it handles that theme very honestly. Mm-hmm. Versus, say, like let's say a Star is Born or something like that, where you're seeing like where you're on this roller coaster film, the <laughs> roller coaster thrill ride of fame, you know? Exactly. Walk the, the highs of highs, the lows of lows, you know? <laughs> Sorry, I said walk the line. I meant walk hard. This is yeah. a dark fucking period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't get that, but it does. You're right. It does uh, express that sentiment very, very well. Mm-hmm. And what is a fairly very finely done movie. Yes. It just has, yeah, it just has the potential to be great. I just wish, you know, another director could kind of put his mitts on and put his or her mitts on it and really make it great.
expectations for me because again i think all european films are quite misery guts but in which hang this on, movie kind on. of is too <laughs> but it's very well done so i highly recommend it um i think it's mm. worth checking out yeah i think it's worth checking out too and for the whole family <laughs> pretty g <laughs> unless you're mortified i i guess we'll we'll give one trigger warning here Yes, uh, we see what Babiste is bringing... Uh, sorry, Babiste. <laughs> yeah. We see what Babette is bringing to dinner, and uh, she's got all these quails who are still alive. And they got to be fresh. Yep, yeah. everything's fresh, and we see her wheeling up the cart, and we see a live sea turtle just ready she's, to go. Yeah, she's got to make She's gonna make turtle soup. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Peter would have a field day with this movie. Yeah, <laughs> but hey, it was 1871. It was a different time, okay? Well... <laughs> Turtles weren't that endangered. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> they were like deer. I've seen I've seen three sea turtles this year. Granted, they were at the zoo in the aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> Their numbers are doing fine. Yeah, exactly. In captivity, um, <laughs> where they don't have birds eating <laughs> eating their little hatchlings as they crawl across the, <laughs> crawl across the sand. David Attenborough, save them! I know. What a jerk! I know. What an asshole! He's probably done more to harm animals <laughs> by not intervening. All those movies are fake anyway. They're all fake. That's true. Yeah, everything's fake. John, I'll tell you what is real. What's real? The joys of coming together as a family Mm -hmm. to enjoy the spectacle of cinema. Not only did we enjoy Babette's Face this weekend, Mm -hmm. but we also enjoyed another great movie. Yes. That we want to talk about for this week. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Said that. I said that weird. I said that weird. Yeah. No. 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 It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. No. Okay. No. I'll just you know. I'll add it. A, I'll add a little stank to it. I'll add like a dream okay. effect to it. Like spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some auto tune sound gr- would be great there. Yep. Yeah. Make it happen, Kevin. <laughs> but speaking of fun sound effects, we got to see a recent release. Yes. Love that piano. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to venture to the theaters and see Coco. Yes, the new Disney Pixar joint. Set around the Dies, Dia de la Muerte. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting my French all Danish. Dia de las Muertos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coco follows a young, I guess he's like an 11-year-old boy named Miguel, um, mm-hmm. who aspires to be a musician, but his family soundly projects that. They want him to all be shoemakers. And so uh, he, in his attempts to become a, uh, a fa- world-famous musician, he winds up in the land of the dead mm-hmm. with all his old relatives. Yeah. He can't get a blessing from his living family to be a musician, so he's going after a dead one to get a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, John, surprise, surprise, what did you think of <laughs> Coco? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> no, obviously it's very good. It's Pixar. Even oh, yeah. When, even when Pixar's bad, it's merely middling. Yeah. Or, like, yeah, just it's, pr- like, pretty good entertainment. I mean, I'm trying to think of the worst Pixar output I've seen, which is probably Brave and cars and yeah like even then like oh these are fine kids movies you know exactly um my only problem with it is is even though it is great and it's very well done it mm-hmm. it straddles that line towards pedestrian because oh well, yeah so th- it's a little too similar to moana from last year and then also it's hitting a lot of the familiar beats that we've come to expect from pixar yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, just preface this by saying, like, yeah, it's a Disney Pixar joint. It like, oh, it's 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 great. Of course, it's great, you know. And and I don't want to sound like jaded in that way. Like, I'm thinking, is my are my expectations too high? And I thought about it, and I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> like, Pixar <laughs> has proven themselves to be the best film production company in the world. They had they hire the best storytellers. They hire the best animators. They do the best job, and literally, their movies should be the best. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So. There's a lot to love about this movie, but yeah, you're right. It is disappointing when we're kind of trotting the same story story beats. Although I do admire that this is a an original film. I do like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like that it's another one of these films that's so like culturally specific. Yeah. Although maybe maybe that's a good. I don't know. Maybe that is a good thing. But like it, again, it feels like kind of seg- segregatory like uh like like you said moana like oh we made our polynesian movie now now we can go back to now we can make one one for the whites again you know? <laughs> <laughs> and now we made our our mexican movie okay we're done with that you know <laughs> they got theirs all right stop complaining yeah they got the yeah <laughs> stop complaining <laughs> we did all the princesses okay we finally did the yeah. black one you can, you can start compl- yeah. you can stop complaining <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure their intentions aren't that cynical, you know. No, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it does seem. In terms of the, I, so I do like the original storyline. I do like um, 
kind of the original direction that it takes in terms of, you know, starting with pretty clear ambitions and then going off, like literally following this hero's journey and going off to a crazy world. Um, Mm -hmm. Like a lot of other Pixar movie, it gets into like minutia and details, like the, like the customs at the land of the dead. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny. That's that's something that uh, only Pixar would find fascinating and can make fascinating. Of course. I mean, who else would you settle on making a nice, funny, bureau? A bureaucratic moment like that, besides like Terry exactly. Gilliam or something, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it has that, but yeah, there's uh, again a few familiar beats. Um, yeah. Actually, first I wanted to ask you: your biggest objection was the not the inclusion of some obviously uh, Mexican, obviously Mexican culture, but some very specific ones. Yeah. So uh, there's this uh, Ernesto de la Cruz is kind of this world famous musician that he admires. And he is an amalgam of a lot of different specific um, Mexican celebrities from, you know, the 40s and 50s, that kind of era. Yeah. His closest, probably most analogous American-wise would be Elvis Presley, probably. Yeah, something like that. Like old cheesy movies, like a talented musician and Mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. And... So he's obviously not meant to, he's meant to represent a whole swath of them, but no one in particular. But then, yeah. <laughs> in the land of the dead, mm-hmm. and we end up meeting Frida Calione, and she's kind of a caricature of herself. She is the yeah. caricature of the uh, overly self-aggrandizing artist. Yeah, which, I don't know, I didn't see the, the biopic of Frida, <laughs> um, starring Salma Hayek and I believe Alfred Merlina. Mm-hmm. As Diego Rivera, mm-hmm. um, I I I honestly didn't catch this reference. It probably flew way over the kids' heads. Well, you um, didn't take enough art history classes, so let yeah, me tell it's you. Not, no, no, it's no. Is that that? Is that that crazy unibrow lady? <laughs> <laughs> is that the one with the single monkey? I, I was seen in the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I got one of them postcards with her pictures. Yeah, her big ass unibrow. Why not shave that thing, girl? <laughs> So yeah, so they like literally have her in the movie and she's again playing a parody of herself of someone who is very real and again yeah. is dead. So not exactly <laughs> honoring her, let's say that. No. Yeah, but also speaking of familiar story beats, we do have a dog mm-hmm. named uh Dante mm-hmm. and which is a reference, you know, later on. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll get into mild spoilers or exact spoilers. So well, you do, if you, Dante's already a reference in and of itself. It's, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, which we'll get to, yeah, so if you don't want to listen to spoilers of this recent release, just let us know. It's great, you know, disappointed in some of the familiar things, but again, great, yeah. one of the best movies I've seen this year, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, blah, 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 Pixar's great. <laughs> yeah. Eight out of ten. Uh, spoilers, yeah. uh, don't meet your heroes, because Cruz is the bad guy, <laughs> Yeah. which has only happened in half the Pixar movies. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to first say... Um, uh, yeah, the, Dante is a silly animal, but we've seen it like a million times before. Mm-hmm. The animal like, again, it's just it's just Doug from Up. It's just uh, Sven the reindeer from Frozen, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so that's a, a little over, overly familiar. And yes, uh, something else you should see in a lot of Pixar movies now: the heel turn. Yes, John. What's that theme again? Yeah, what's that theme again? We shouldn't we shouldn't know. Uh, don't meet your heroes. Because as <laughs> yeah. it turns out, Cruz is not his great great grandfather, and turns out he murdered his real great great grandfather. <laughs> yes. So this man that our hero Miguel has greatly admired. Oh no! It turns out he's the bad guy. <laughs> exactly. Which has yeah, only so... happened in eight of the last ten Pixar movies. <laughs> well, I, I look. I narrowed it down. I think it's only four. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's Stinky Pete I, from it's, Toy it's Story. Stinky Pete in Toy Story Two. Uh, a character in Cars Two, which I haven't seen, but yeah. Um, there's a uh, Chris Charles Muntz in Up, mm-hmm. and then there's Lotso Hogan Bear yeah. in Toy Story Three, and y- yes, it's all it's all coming back. <laughs> you could you could make an argument for Otto in Wall-E because again, uh, you yeah, th- but... yeah, all these characters you think are uh, benefactors, and then they turn out to have their own secret agenda. Yeah, yeah, and even though the movie's so nuanced, like like we really do develop the characters of Miguel's extended family, who's now in the land of the dead. Mm-hmm. But like immediately, you see Ernesto de la Cruz, how vain it is, and you and I like just roll our eyes, like okay, we know where this is going because we're savvy moviegoers. <laughs> exactly, and we introduce yeah, some so, uh, one random character by happenstance, uh, Hector, 
Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> and you're just kind of waiting like for the big reveal with that, where it's like, okay, this guy's clearly related to Miguel somehow. Somehow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should also explain the photo where his face is obscured. <laughs> like exactly. He's going after the guitar, but he's convinced that Ernesto de la Cruz, the famous movie star, is holding the guitar. Yeah. guitar. <laughs> Looking back on it, the gold tooth was a pretty big... Uh indicator right there yeah and yeah i was just waiting we saw this in the theater together i was just waiting to turn to you because i saw it the first time he enters the mausoleum i'm like that's ernesto de la cruz is not really his grandfather <laughs> no way and i was just turning to, i was just turning to wait for you when the actual twist comes just to say i knew it <laughs> <laughs> well and it, i guess it was kind of disappointing because again i thought it was going to go into this really ambiguous area which is does the artist, again, going back to art, which we explored in Babette's Feast, does the artist mm-hmm. need to give something up of themselves? Do they need to give up on family to really pursue their dream? Like, is art a selfish endeavor? And yeah. I thought maybe it was going to explore that a little bit. But yeah, then again, the... it does this heel turn and again, loses all ambiguity. Turns out this guy's a murderer. He's a horrible, horrible yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. And so, yes, no, don't go after your interest. Like, <laughs> stay with your family. Exactly. <laughs> or at least find some kind of middle ground. Because I think I, I wasn't as didn't object to that theme as much because we realized that Ernesto de la Cruz is very vain mm-hmm. and very thirsty for fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Miguel ends up doing, he remains committed to his family, but he can still kind of pursue his music. And it doesn't wind up at the big talent show, you know, where he's performing in front of everybody and he's suddenly famous. Instead, exactly. it, it winds up he gets to play music in the context of a, of a fun family gathering. Exactly. So, yeah, so I did think they found a good middle ground there. But, yeah, I, I, I was so disappointed by that heel turn again. You know, now it seems... <laughs> Even if it doesn't break down statistically, yeah, at least half of Pixar movies have to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. They need the silly animal, they need, you know, all that all that same stuff. So yeah, it's getting it's getting a little familiar in spite in spite of the fact how great it is. I guess they, they kinda have this winning formula. Mm-hmm. We just have to see it I guess fail one time. Well, I mean yeah. Maybe it's, maybe in Cars Four, who knows? <laughs> it's the same thing with Marvel, which is like they mm-hmm. have the good bones. Get it. Get it. Uh, get it. Did you get it? Did you get it? They're all skeletons. Oh, I see. <laughs> they always kind of work from the same template. They always have the same bones of a good story. Mm-hmm. And they can basically dress it up however they want. And that's what makes it kind of great. Like, again, yeah. Doctor Strange and Thor Ragnarok. These are all kind of very familiar tropes that we're dealing with here. But, again, like, psychedelic artwork, crazy hair metal 80s related stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like... Yeah, they're just using different thread for your, you know... Mexican culture. For your, you know... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same clothes, just different threads and colors, you yeah. know? Um, I do actually have a theory... <laughs> What's that? ...of why Pixar is doing this heel turn. Mm-hmm. I think it goes back to... Um, back to their founding days, because one of their founders um, has had successive hits. He's never really had a failure in his career, mm-hmm. and has ascended all the way to the top of Pixar and to Walt Disney Animation. Oh. Until last week. Oh, I'm speaking, of course, of John Lasseter. Don't go here. Why are you going here? (laughs) We talked about this (laughs) enough last week. (laughs) This is true. But we didn't know about this new latest revelation, did we? (laughs) Oh, jeez. So maybe that's a little implicit thing saying, uh, yeah, you may admire us, but we're not perfect. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, he took a leave of absence, okay? He got out ahead of it. I know, yeah, they got out ahead of it. Nobody publicly has has come out to accuse him, but... Mm -hmm. Still, it's an admission of guilt, is it not? I mean, it's still gross. Yeah. Um, I guess we should probably get to the other major complaint about Coco. Um, there is a short in front of this movie. Quote, unquote, uh, yeah, short. Yeah, short. Is short the right word there, though, bro? No, no, it's not. This is the yeah. first Pixar movie where they haven't done their own short in front of it. Instead, what they did was Disney put forward... Olaf's Magical Christmas or something like that, which is basically a TV special in front of this movie. So it is a full 22 minutes, (laughs) and it is, at times, abysmally bad. (laughs) Hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna play contrarian here. Okay. All we've seen on the internet all weekend is everyone else has hated it. Oh, so it was like, oh my gosh, I had to wait. I had to, I had to, you know, 22 minutes. It's solid entertainment. Come on, it's not bad. It's pretty bad. There are four original songs that, no, they're not up to the, the, the standards of Robert Lopez and the original Frozen. Like, whatever. What did you, it, this is a TV special. You got 22 extra minutes of free. What the hell are you complaining about? It's, it it's was fine. way too it's, long. Again, Olaf's so, fun. Oh, come on. It's, 
at times it's like, oh no, Olaf, we don't have any Christmas traditions. It's like <laughs> it's like playing to four year olds. It's like, come on, the original I, Frozen. Was well, what do you think a TV special does? Now, uh, yeah, you're right. Again, the original um, Frozen. Is Pixar has done this with them. You have to admit. Well, sure, but <laughs> I mean, Pixar has already done this. They did two TV specials uh, with Toy Story characters. Like those aren't up to the level. I think it's the fact that this was playing in the theaters yeah. before a movie that was highly anticipated among audiences, especially here in Southern California. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. Yes, a lot of a lot of um, people of Mexican heritage would want to see a movie about Mexico. Am I am I wrong? You know, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, well, yeah, but it's like everyone loves Frozen, so I think also higher expectations. Like more Frozen, please. Thank you. I, but again, they, I know. They, so they, they got it. Uh, what are they whining about? <laughs> no, they gave us too much. It's too much cake. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, geez. They gave us the whole cake, and it was gross. It was like cheesecake with a soggy bottom. The whole fruit cake. Yeah, yes, I know. Yeah, the fruit cake. A fruit cake oh, features yeah, probably in this, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, in this yeah, TV yeah. special. Um, yeah, I know. It's a cliche joke or whatever, but it works. Mm. It all works for me. Yeah, so I, I'm mad that, you know, again, our <laughs> intractable audiences out there are like, oh, I got 22 minutes of free entertainment. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's so long. It's way too long. Oh no, the song the songs are only seven out of ten instead of eleven out of ten. This is terrible. Give me a five to seven minute short. Hashtag nosin. Involving a sandpiper learning that he shouldn't be afraid of the water. And then I will be. Yeah, we should say this is yeah, this is yeah, this is nowhere near the level of the normal Pixar shorts, which are short two to or two to six minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. Which actually serve two purposes. One, they're very entertaining. Yeah. Two Pixar actually tests like little technology things in those shorts. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that Piper short. Um, that was very photorealistic. They were kind of playing around with photorealistic animation there. Yeah. Um, there's another one, Lifted, uh, where an alien has to get in a flying saucer has to get a guy out of a house. They were playing a lot with lighting then. Yeah. And then there was another one called For the Birds, and they were playing with uh, feather effects for what would be Monsters Monsters Inc. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess um, it's so it's so, bad on those fronts that we didn't get to enjoy a, a short Pixar or see what new uh, fun technology they were coming out with. Exactly. I mean, honestly, it's almost <laughs> so it's it's worse than Ebola, is what we're saying. <laughs> well, okay, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I think, especially true of this movie, it's like Pixar's maybe getting a little too realistic. This is also true of the Good Dinosaur, which is yeah, I was the, like. The characters maintain their cartooniness, but the kind of environments still have this ultra photorealistic uh, quality to them that just kind of like it's it's too jarring. Yeah, that um, there is one shot I'm thinking of in particular. Um, we have Miguel, the star of the show, mm -hmm. again typical Disney cartoon character, ginormous eyes, you know, mm -hmm. small nose, big mouth, you know, ears out to out to the horizons, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Um, but Coco is his uh, elderly grand great grandmother. <laughs> yeah, we never mentioned the fact that Coco is not like the title oh, character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the title character is the great grandmother, the uh, the head, the I guess mate, not really the matriarch, but the top of the family tree right now. Yeah, she's and she like ever they really detail and render the uh, the sags and and spots in her skin, mm -hmm. and so seeing the two of them together is a little, is a little off putting. You're right, exactly. But again, in terms of the rest of the camera stuff, we see like Miguel play the guitar, and there's like rack focus between you know, him, you know, hitting the hitting the uh, strings on the neck and strumming, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's again incredible, and we take it for granted. <laughs> We're just impossible to please. American audience yep. is impossible to mm -hmm. please. Yep. So again, just another you know dull pedestrian masterpiece from Pixar. Yeah. Maybe one of the best, one of the best films I've seen this year. Yeah, uh, throw it in the bin. <laughs> Oh well, John. I don't. I don't want to come off. Yeah, I don't want to come off as ungrateful. Well, I like mean, these hashtag nosing people, you know. I mean, I like to think that we dedicate ourselves every week to putting out an exceptional podcast, and Absolutely. the way our fans can show their love is subscribing and giving us five star ratings. And the way we can show the love back to them mm -hmm. is through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter. Mm -hmm. So. Why don't you reach out to us there? And also, we're taking recommendations and comments at our email, mm -hmm. aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. 
Now, John, what are we watching next week? What are, we want people to enjoy the movie with us. I hope that I hope they did get a chance to enjoy Babette's Feast on Filmstruck, and mm-hmm. you know maybe next week they can get a chance to enjoy the movie with us. What what is it next week? Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll look it up right now. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> City Lights, bro. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Next week we'll be watching the Charlie Chaplin starring film City Lights. That's right. We're going back to the thirties. Oh yeah, it's our, our first black and white film in a while after a six straight or so. <laughs> yeah, for October we pretty much did all black and white films, and then yeah. you made us watch Rules of the Game, so you have no one to blame but yourself. So, uh, come on, I mean, no, I'm not going to forgive you for that. Okay, and, uh, you're not going to forgive me. I'm going to bring that up every Goonies week. or the Rules of the Game. Apparently, nope, those two, never. those two are just off limit. Uh, for some reason, those were those were just a bridge too far. You couldn't you couldn't take you know those two hours of your life gone. Nope, nope. <laughs> How dare you? The things I do for you. That's <laughs> unbelievable, yeah. You notice I don't share the same sentiment, because I'm not that petty. <laughs> I, oh, You're, let's let's rephrase that. You're not that petty on mic. <laughs> okay, it's Air Dirty Laundry, John. What's one movie I complained about? Uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I Yes, because it's not a classic. I objected more to its choice. Rather but than... you at least admired it as a film, and you thought it was amazing. <laughs> that's not true <laughs> you were like yes, off mic, oh my god off mic, this movie gushing. is yeah. so fun so great yes, but it's not a classic yeah on the episode I was I was actually teeming with jealousy about <laughs> infinite jealousy of how brilliant it was <laughs> exactly you're like how dare they make a film so much better than my mind could even comprehend also you didn't like uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit enough for my tastes so <laughs> okay Explore the back catalog, okay. folks, and you can see all of these great episodes. Yes. And John, you can go find another co-host for you. <laughs> Hopefully Kamel Nagiani, huh? Maybe. Maybe. Oh, we can only dream. He's too busy. Yep. He's in every other movie now. I know. Now he's not cool to like anymore. I know. I liked him before he was cool. You did, John. I will I will vouch for that. You've. When's he bringing back the indoor kids? Duh. <laughs> John, this is getting too uh too niche. Yes, this is too alt. This is, too this is too alt comedy. Yeah, this is too esoteric. Let's <laughs> let's get off. Instead, let's get let's give everybody a warm goodbye. We hope you had a one, lovely Thanksgiving. Yes, from our family to yours. Happy Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and until yes. next time, keep aspiring. <laughs>